Welcome to the Foundations Church Podcast. to see you all here today. Um, You never know what kind of illustrations we will have up here, so um, someday I'm going to try to get a pony up here for some reason. But um, hey, before we get started, we are entering summer time quickly. Um, In fact, I know a lot of you will be gone next week because it's Memorial Day weekend. And here's the deal. As your pastor, man, we want you to get away. We want you to travel. We want you to have a great time with your family. Um, It's important for you to get away. It's important for you guys to have family time. So as I say this, please know there's no like, oh, he hates when we go on vacation. He's a a jealous vacationer. Um, Not that at all. Um, But what we do need help with is we need help with more volunteers. I'm just going to say one of our core values here, save people, serve people. And our ability to continue to grow as a church is is really tied to three things, our willingness to serve, our willingness to give, and our willingness to invite. And um, those three things really dictate a lot. And for some of you, maybe, maybe you haven't stepped out and you just haven't stepped into the realm of serving yet. Man, we want to help you take that next step because God has given all of us different talents and abilities. Some of you, man, you are fantastic with kids. And we lost all of our college students because they're home for most of them. And so we've got a little bit of a void, um, especially in our third service, having help. And our our third service is going over fantastic. I think since we have started our third service, I think the stat is correct. Since the beginning of the year, we have only had one service where somebody didn't raise their hand for salvation or to recommit their life to the Lord um, during our third service. Yeah. So we believe save people, serve people, so the serve people become save people, and it just becomes this vicious cycle. Some of you, you are horrible with kids. You scare kids the moment they look at you. Um, we don't want you in our kids' area, okay? Um, we're just going to tell you, if you're, if you're a yeller and your patience is this thin, um, kids' ministry is probably not the place, but some of you, you're fantastic with kids. Man, use that to invest in some kids' lives. We could, we could use your help, greeters, all the stuff. It's very easy to volunteer. You can sign up online at foundationschurch.tv. You can go to our Connect Center, or you can grab a card out in the lobby that says, I get to serve, uh, because, man, there's so much good, so many good things happening here um, that, that we want to continue to spur the growth that God is sending. Um, and so if you can help us be awesome owners of all that God is doing here, that would be fantastic. There's my shameless plug for volunteering today. Um, and if it doesn't happen, I'm going to do a whole series on it. So I'm just warning you. Um, <laughs> anyways, um, today I want to talk to you about rowing in Kansas, rowing in Kansas. Um, <clears throat> And we'll see how, how third service grow, goes because I'm, I'm starting to lose my voice because this, this is one of those messages, man, it's in my bones. It's in there deep. So um, uh, 
one of my favorite things to do, and we just talked about it, is travel. I love traveling. I love going on trips. I love going on vacations. Um, I love getting away uh, just to kind of reset and to just focus on my family. And that's one thing you'll, you'll, you'll see is you're like, oh, Justin gets away with his family because I want my kids not to hate the church, not to hate ministry, not to hate their lives like dad loves the church more than us. Um, no, we want to be very balanced. Um, but uh, I, I love the whole process, whether it's a missions trip, whether it's vacation, whether it's just going out of town. I love packing. Some of you are like, you're weird. Um, I've known that for a long time. Um, but I love packing. I love like now we don't have to map it out as much, but like back in the day, you had to get the Rand McNally Atlas out, you know what I'm talking about, and like map your way out. I, I love that stuff. Like, I think it's a blast. Um, and one of my favorite, like figuring out the flights, when we're going to get a rental car, like it's all like as seamless as we can make it. We're going to be time effective, you know, and, and just the whole, I, I just love it. And one of my favorite trips to take is to go snow skiing um, with my family. I love skiing. Um, now, my girls don't like it. Me and Casey love it. So now we're just at a point in our place in our marriage. We're like, you guys are staying home and we're going to go skiing so we don't have to listen to your whining anymore. But um, we, 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 we love traveling. And um, the, the only thing is, like, I'm excited. I'm an early morning traveler. Like, I want to make the first flight. I want to, like, get up because I'm not sleeping anyways because I'm like, I take off tomorrow. We're going on a trip tomorrow, right? I'm like a kid. I'm like, yeah. Um, and so I, I love going to Colorado if I can fly to Denver, right? Because I'm just going to tell you, the drive from Tulsa, Oklahoma to Breckenridge, Colorado is awful. It is probably the worst drive. And the problem is this for me is I get out of Tulsa, I'm excited. I get into Kansas and I'm like, all right, we're already in another state. We're making some progress. We get up, you know, we're following I-35 to I-70 and you take a left on I-70 and you're like, okay, now we're heading west and we're on I-70 and we're going, but you're on I-70. And this is what I-70 looks like forever. Like, this is actually a picture of I-70 in Kansas. Like, it makes Oklahoma look amazing. Like, it's, like, if you're from Kansas, hear me. I don't hate Kansas. I got no problems with Kansas. But I-70 is the worst thing I've ever been on in my entire life. The only three things you've got to look forward to are Colby, Hayes, and Lemon, Colorado. Like, that's it. Because there's like a Dairy Queen, you're like, yeah, Colby. And then you're like, but we're in Colby, Kansas. Like, awesome. And, 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 and the problem becomes, you come to the state line of Colorado, and you're like, we're in Colorado. It looks like this. <laughs> You're like, where are the mountains? <laughs> where is it? And, and the, the, the big issue is what you envision when you're traveling to Denver. You don't see anything really worth seeing until you hit Denver. And you're like, are those clouds or mountains? Are those clouds or mountains? Like, so I always see them like, oh, those are clouds. Um, but when you get to Denver, you finally start seeing mountains. The destination, the, or the place that you want to end up at doesn't look like anything in Kansas. And it's just like, uh, so defeating for so long. And I call this, man, you're in the middle, in between Tulsa and Colorado. And what I have discovered is this, is that for a lot of us, I-70, Kansas, as a big part of our life. How do you survive your Kansas? 
How do you survive the I-70 moments of life? Right? Because here's the deal. The dream, the, the beginning of a dream, the beginning of something is fun. That new baby is fun. Like you're, you're in the hospital and they take it away to the nursery every night and you're like, this ain't so hard. You know, and you're saying this as a dad and the mom's looking at you like, you're the dumbest person I have ever, I'm sure, yeah, was it real hard for you so far? Well, I stood up with you all night, right? My feet are, anyways, um, you, and, and a new baby is fun, but you go three months in and you're asking yourself, man, when's this thing gonna stop crying and pooping? And the news is about 20, um, about 20 years old. <laughs> It's about, about the right time. That new house, man, it's a blast. You're like, ooh, this new house is awesome until stuff starts breaking in that new house, right? And that new house isn't so new anymore and things start going wrong and you get that new house mortgage payment and you're like, what? I thought it was going to be this and now it's that, you know? Um, the new things are so much, the new job, you go in the job, and you're like, everybody's so nice, everybody's so welcoming, everybody loves me, I'll never get bored at this job, right? And then everybody, uh, man, everybody just stabs you in the back, so much drama. You know, it, new things are great, new things are exciting, new things are fun, and the opposite is true. The arrival, the, the arriving to your dream is so satisfying. Like when you finally get to Breckenridge, you're like, yes, I am here amongst the mountains and I have made it and I have defeated I-70 and the mundane, boring part of the traveling. Um, you, you take so much pride, it's so much satisfaction in arriving, but, but how do you handle the mundane in-between moments? Because the reality and the truth is this, most of us, most of us in this place, we're in between the dream and the fulfillment of the dream. We, we are in the place, it's like, you know, strangers things, you are in the upside down, you are in the in-between. And, and most of us, a lot of our life isn't spent at the beginning of the dream. A lot of our life isn't spent at the fulfillment of the dream. A lot of our life is spent on I-70. It's spent in the mundane, in the boring, in the tedious. And, and, and it, you're, you're going, but it doesn't feel like you're making any progress. And you may have a Colby moment every once in a while or a Hayes moment, every, but how do you survive in the in-between? In the in-between, how do you survive that dungeon of being in between the dream and the fulfillment? How do you function in it? Today, our text is found in Mark chapter 6, verse 45 and 51. It says this, immediately after this, and we'll talk about that in just a second. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and head across the lake to Bethesda while he sent the people home. After telling everyone goodbye, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Late that night, the disciples were in their boat in the middle of the lake. They're in the middle. They're in the in-between. They're in Kansas, right? They're in the middle. And Jesus was alone on land. He saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came towards them, walking on the water. 
He intended to go past him, which makes me laugh. Like, like peace out, guys. Good luck with that. Like, I'm, I'm going to go back. Like, I don't know if he was like circling to scare the ever-living everything out of them. But um, it says this, but when they saw him walking on the water, they cried out in terror, thinking he was a ghost. I think Jesus did it on purpose. Yeah. Just like, watch this, God. Um, they were all terrified when they saw him, but Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I am here. And then he climbed into the boat and the wind stopped and they were totally amazed. How do you survive when you're in the middle? When you're in the middle of the lake and it's the place, realize Jesus is the one that told him to get into the boat. It wasn't the disciples' decision. They were doing what Jesus told them. How do you survive the middle when the waves and the wind are pushing back hard and it's dark? I want to give us three things this morning. The first thing is this. If you're going to survive your Kansas, if you're going to survive your in-between, your middle, you've got to learn to be courageously patient. You've got to be courageously patient. For all you impatient people, you hate this point right now. You've got to learn to be not just patient, but it takes courage to decide to be patient. But before this text... It says, you know, right, it says right after this, what the right after this was in Mark 6, 44 and up, it's talking about Jesus feeding the 5,000. And Jesus has done the spectacular. I mean, he has knocked it out of the park. Nobody has seen a miracle like this. They get some bread and some fish and God starts multiplying what they have given him. And man, that's just the way it works in life. If you just, God blesses what he possesses and that's a whole nother message. But I'm just telling you, he does what you can't do on your own. And so he starts doing and just starts handing out the, the loaves and fishes and the disciples start handing and divvying it out to everybody there. And everybody has plenty to eat and there's leftovers and all this miraculous happens. And there's this crowd and everybody's astonished and everybody's amazed. And then he insists that his disciples get into a boat and go across the lake to the other side. And what I've noticed is this, in life, people will be with you in the spectacular moments. Man, people will love to be with you in the wow moments. When you got all the toys and you got all the trinkets and everything's going good and everything looks great, but you get into the middle of the life and you get on I-70 and you get in the in-between moments of life where it's mundane and it's boring, there's not a whole lot of people that want to follow you into the storm. There's not a whole lot of people that want to go with you in what I call the hype-free zone, right? There's no hype man just popping out like, yeah, yeah, preach it, Justin, preach it. You're like dabbing my head with a, with a, with a handkerchief. No. What do you, what? Nobody wants to follow in the hype-free zones, the mundane moments, the I-70 moments, the in-between moments. And it's in those moments, it's when we feel like nothing's happening, that we have got to learn if we're going to survive those moments, if we're still going to go after the dream that God has given us, that we have to choose to be courageously patient. Now, if you go to Mahogany's um, sometime this week, I don't, I don't know if you've ever been to Mahogany's. Uh, Mahogany's is one of those places you go like once a year and not every day or every week because Mahogany's is expensive. And I, I've been there like one or two times and it's spectacular. It is amazing food. It is a prime steak place and it's, 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 it's expensive. Like every time I go, I'm like, dear 
Goodness. Um, but I will tell you that when you sit there and you order your filet mignon, it takes a while for them to fix that filet mignon. It takes them a while to really make a meal that you are going to remember and that you are going to experience. Now, if you leave this place and you decide to go uh, destroy your taste buds with Taco Bell or McDonald's today, um, and, and you just like eating hamburger patties that aren't real hamburger, if you work at McDonald's or own one, we love you here. Um, but <laughs> it doesn't take any time. There, there, when I was a kid, I ate like a kid. I understood like a kid and I reasoned like a kid, right? Is what the Bible says. No, it's not what the Bible says. But um, here's the deal. There's nothing special about a Big Mac. There's nothing special about your Big Mac, your supersized fries, and you got a supersized Diet Coke, right? Because that makes up for it if I get a Diet Coke with it. Um, but um, there, there, it takes no time. They just get it because you can. And if it takes longer than five minutes, you're like, where's my food, right? You go to Mahogany's, you know it's going to be 20, 30 minutes before you get your food because you're expecting something great. Can I tell you, God-sized dreams take time. God-sized dreams Take time, and if it's gonna be great, and if it's not gonna be full of all the regret, man, you gotta own your I-70 moments. You gotta own your in-between, and you got to learn to be courageously patient, because what I will tell you is impatience will often make you sacrifice what is significant. The very significant thing that you're hoping for and you're dreaming of, the moment you decide to get impatient, and we're going to cover this in a new series, but I am convinced impatience makes a mess out of almost everything. Here's what the Bible says. It's one of my favorite Proverbs. In Proverbs 19, verse 2 through 3, it says, Enthusiasm without knowledge is no good. Haste makes mistakes. That's super easy for you to remember right there. Haste makes mistakes. People ruin their lives by their own foolishness and then are angry at the Lord. When you are impatient and you get hasty, it always leads to regret and mistakes. It always does. But when you choose, even in the mundane, even in the tedious, even when you're tired, even when you feel like there's no progress being made, to be courageously patient. What I can tell you is if you stay on I-70 long enough, you eventually get to your destination. And if you will be courageously patient, God always delivers on his promises. Second way that you survive your Kansas, your in-between, is you, be, you become more about serving than the stage. You become more about serving the stage. 1 Samuel 16, verse 1, and we're going to kind of dive into a new text real quick. Then verses 10 through 13 says, Now the Lord said to Samuel, You have mourned long enough for Saul. I have rejected him as king of Israel. So fill your flask with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse who lives there, for I have selected one of his sons to be my king. Samuel goes to Jesse's house. He calls all of his sons in except David, which is really cool, Dad. Thanks. Um, thanks for thinking so highly of me. Um, and so, and I love what the message translation says, and we'll get to this in a second. Jesse's like, are these all your sons? And the message translation says, no, there's the runt out in the field. He's talking about his own son, David. I'm like, that's awesome, Dad. Um, so verse 10, in the same way, all seven of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel, but Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. Then Samuel asked, are these all the sons you have? 
They're still the youngest, Jesse replied, but he's out in the fields watching the sheep and goats. Send for him at once, Samuel said. We will not sit down until he arrives. So Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. This is the Bible's way of saying he was fine. Um, He probably would have been on The Bachelor. Um, So, and the Lord said, this is the one, anoint him. So as David stood there among his brothers... I love that. He's standing there with all his brothers, probably going, are you kidding me? Samuel took the flask of olive oil he brought and anointed David with the oil. And the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Then Samuel returned to Ramah. 1 Samuel 17. We're going to fast forward a little bit. Verse 12. Now David was the son of a man named Jesse, an Ephraite from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And Jesse was an old man at that time, and he had eight sons. Jesse's three oldest sons, Eliab, Abinadab, and Shemiah, had already joined Saul's army to fight the Philistines, and David was the youngest son. David's three oldest brothers stayed with Saul's army, but David went back and forth so he could help his father with the sheep in Bethlehem. For 40 days, every morning and evening, the Philistine champion strutted in front of the Israelite army. One day, Jesse said to David, Take this basket of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread and carry them quickly to your brothers. And give these 10 cuts of cheese to their captain. See how your brothers are getting along and bring back a report on how they are doing. David's brothers were with Saul and the Israelite army at the Valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. Here's the reason I'm talking to you guys about this today. David was anointed for one thing, but he was serving in another. Right, David was anointed in front of his brothers, in front of his dad, in front of Samuel, the man of God, to be the next king of Israel. He was the man. And yet when we catch up with David after this anointing, it said the Lord came upon him powerfully, but it didn't say that David became the king all of a sudden. It didn't even say that David fought Goliath the next day. No, actually, a lot of time passed, and what we find next in the passages of Scripture is that Saul needs somebody to come in and play the harp for him. David wasn't anointed to be a harp player. That wasn't the destination. That wasn't the dream of David's life, but yet that's what was asked of David to do. And so David came in, and he played the harp for Saul, and all of a sudden, he got access because he was faithful in serving instead of being consumed with the stage. David all of a sudden is asked to be a shepherd for his dad while his brothers are gone. This is not a, like when you think of the shepherds, you know, Psalms 23, the shepherds 23rd Psalm. This is not, being a shepherd was not something good. It was not something noble. We've made it look that way in the Christmas pageants because it's super creepy to think of a bunch of shepherds coming up and greeting Jesus and Mary like, where's your baby? Show me it. You know, um, that's what this was. And he's like, you know what? I was anointed to be the king. But if you're going to ask me to be a shepherd, I'm going to be the best shepherd there is. And I'm going to learn, and it was why he was shepherding, that he learned to defeat a bear, and he learned to defeat a lion, and he fought battles that nobody else saw that equipped him to take down his Goliath. He decided to serve instead of to be bitter because he was anointed for one thing, but he found himself serving at another. And if he was going to serve, he was going to serve with all that he had. In fact, he's asked to be a Grubhub delivery boy right to his brothers. He's asked to bring bread and cheese. He's like the snack time cart. This is what he is. 
And it wasn't, here, we get consumed with the stones, the bag of stones and the sling that David took. And we get consumed with Goliath. And that would, his willingness to serve brought him to his destiny of Goliath. He was willing to serve those he was anointed to be over. And can I tell you, David didn't get consumed with the stage. He didn't get consumed with being discovered. He was okay being developed because he knew God had a plan for him. And where we've missed it so many times is we get consumed with being discovered instead of developed. That by the time we get discovered, we have not developed the character to keep us on the stage any longer. There's many of us, man, we just want the discovery. We want the stage. But I have never, ever seen the stage bring you to your character or your development, but I've always seen serving bring you to your stage and develop character and development. And some of you, you may not be where you want to be. Some of you, you may be like, you know what? At this point in time, at this age, I thought I would be somewhere else. I thought life would look like something else. And you right now, on your I-70, in your in-between moment right here, while you're shepherding and you're being a harp player and you're being a Grubhub delivery boy or girl, whatever it may be, can I tell you, you've got a decision. You can either own the serving or you can get bitter about serving. You can either own where you're at and be fruitful and thrive where you are, or you can get mad and you can waste the preparation and you can waste the development. And that by the time you get to the place you're at and you come to your Goliath, you miss the moment because you didn't own the serving moment. If you're going to, if you're going to survive your I-70, it's boring. I don't like it. I don't want to go through this. If you're going to own your in-between and most of us in this place where there, you've got to be all about serving where you are instead of being focused on where you want to be and allow God to develop the courageous patience in you to get you there in his timing. Because when David was willing to just be obedient in the serving, when he was willing to serve whatever was asked of him, his significance came from his serving. The third thing is this. You got to keep rowing one more time. You, you, you got to keep rowing one more time. Mark chapter 6. <clears throat> Late that night, the disciples were in their boat. In the middle of the lake. I-70 Kansas, baby. And Jesus was alone on land. He saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard, and struggling against the wind and waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came towards them, walking on the water. He intended to go past them, but when they saw him walking on the water, they cried out in terror, thinking he was a ghost. And they were all terrified when they saw him. But Jesus spoke to them at once, don't be afraid. He said, take courage, I am here then he climbed into the boat and the wind stopped and they were totally amazed. He saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and the waves. I don't know if you've ever used a rowing machine, but there's times when we're at the gym that we decide, hey, you know what? This sounds like a great idea. Why don't we row? 
and we'll make some stupid goal like 2,000 meters, right? And I'm like, we start rowing, and I'm like, oh, this ain't so bad, right? I got, I got this all day, and I'm, I'm fresh, and I'm at 100, not right now, but I'm at 100 meters. And I'm like, I, I, sheesh, this is a chump's workout. Here's the deal. You get about 300 meters in, and you're like breathing hard, and you start sweating, and you're like, why in the world did I let my youth pastor, Michael Ballard, talk me into this workout? <laughs> this is the dumbest thing. Michael, we need to have a one-on-one after this. Um, your raise is in question, your bonus is in question, because this is the dumbest influence that I've ever had. Here's the deal. The disciples are rowing. And rowing's not fun. Rowing's mundane. They've been going at it all night long. But it is in the rowing moments. It's in this moment where nobody else is in the boat with you but those that are with you. Your boys, your girls, your husband, your wife, your family. And and the waves are crashing against and the wind is going that you learn to trust in the dark. You learn to trust what you can't see. You know that Jesus still has something for you. It's in the dark. It's in the rowing. When you have lost all the desire to keep rowing, when you are tired, when it is hard to breathe, when you're worn out, that all of a sudden what the Bible says, that character is developed, that perseverance is developed, that you start developing and you start learning to row through your emotions instead of because of your emotions. It's in the rowing that something begins to happen. In fact, in Romans chapter 5, it's it says this, that we take joy in our tribulations or our troubles because our troubles and our tribulations produce perseverance. And perseverance develops character. And character develops hope. And hope does not disappoint. So I can keep rowing because I know I've got hope. I know that I can make it if I keep rowing. But can I tell you, it's in the middle. It's in the in-between. It's in your Kansas where the enemy wants to whisper, because he knows you're being developed. He knows that perseverance is being started and he wants to whisper in your ear, you're not getting anywhere. He wants to whisper in your ear, it's not worth it. He wants to whisper in your ear, you're not gonna make it because here's what he understands. If you row one more time, you're gonna get past the middle at some point. If you row one more time, you're getting closer to your breakthrough. If you row one more time, you're about to come into your moment. If you will row one more time, even though you're tired, even though the waves are beating against you, even you don't know if you can, if you will row one more time, you will start seeing God do what only God can do. Here's what the Bible says in Galatians. It says, don't get tired of doing good. Some of you, you feel like me right now. Your spirit sounds like this. Don't get tired of doing good. Don't get tired of rowing because at a right time, when I have been courageously patient, at a right time, we will reap a harvest of good if we don't give up, if we don't stop rowing, if I don't quit. Oh, I may need a breather, but I'm going to keep rowing because I'm getting to my breakthrough. I'm getting past my middle. I'm getting past the way. Man, keep rowing one more time. I close with this. 
Some of you are like, but Justin, I'm worn out. Justin, I've been rowing so long, and it seems like the waves are hitting me. But the wind is blowing me back further than I can keep rowing. I love this. It says Jesus saw them. He saw them on the shore. Jesus never lost track of them. He saw exactly where they were. And all of a sudden in this moment, they have an experience with Jesus, an intimate experience moment with Jesus that they had never experienced before in their life. Jesus comes walking to the wa- in the, on the water to them in their storm and gets in the boat and everything calms down. And some of you, you've been trying to row on your own. You've been trying to survive your dungeon. You've been trying to get through I-70 on your own. Can I tell you, it's like I was a big fan of professional wrestling when I was a kid. And my favorite was, I don't even remember the wrestling. It wasn't WWF. It was like some redneck wrestling with the Midnight Express and Rock and Roll Express. Um, And Rock and Roll Express was my favorite. But it was like the Midnight Express were the bad guys. And my guys would always get pummeled. And there was one guy that would always get beat up, right? And they're like double teaming him. But my guy can't get in. And he's just sitting there at the end of the ring, just sticking his hand out. And you're like, you got to make it. You got to tag it. And he just had the strength to just not be pinned and pull his shoulder up off the mat, right? And you knew. It seemed like it took forever, but it was like a minute. But finally, the one guy struggling in the ring finally tags his buddy. And his buddy comes in and just starts laying haymakers, you know. And he's like, boom. And starts jumping off ropes. And you're like... Yeah, and you're jumping up and down in your living room and you're screaming, you're spitting Captain Crunch everywhere. And you're like, ah, yeah, Rock and Roll Express. Can I tell you the same thing is true with your situation, with your I-70, with your in-between. Man, if you can just make it to the Lord and you just invite him in and you tag him into your situation, all of a sudden the waves calm down. The situation is manageable because you're not trying to row under your own power because it's not about your might. It's not about your power in the in-between, in the Kansas, in the meantime, in the middle of your lake. It's about his spirit enabling you, empowering you, strengthening you for the work that God has for you. Do not give up in your in-between. Don't stop in your I-70, but be courageously patient. Man, be courageously patient. Own where you're at and serve where you are and keep rowing one more time. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. God, I ask that in this place today, you would speak to hearts, to lives, that man, we're in the middle. And sometimes it's really lonely in the middle. Sometimes it's really mundane in the middle. Sometimes it doesn't look like what we thought it was going to look like in the middle. But God, I pray that in this place, we would be courageously patient. God, that that we would not become fearfully impatient, but we would remain courageously patient. Where others would give up, where others would turn around, we would keep rolling one more time. Oh, when nobody, when people walk away from us, God, we would keep rowing one more time because we know where you have called us. God, even when we've been anointed and called, 
sold for one thing and we're serving in another. God, that we would own those serving moments and we would keep rowing one more time. God, there's some of us, our marriage doesn't look like what we thought it would. God, I pray that we would keep rowing through the emotions and through the way it feels. Our kids aren't where we thought they would be. I pray that we would keep rowing even though our kids aren't where they thought we thought they would be. Our addictions aren't getting any better. God, I pray, don't let us give up, but let us keep rowing one more time. Our dreams don't look like it. Lord, our calling, our destiny, our life, our finances, our health, Lord, wherever we are, God, I pray that there would be a tenacity in our spirit that our tribulations would produce, that our tribulations would produce perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. God, that our hope is in you. Lord Jesus, I pray, wherever we are and wherever we're in the middle of, God, we would realize that in this place we are not alone, but you're with us. And if God be for us, (laughs) God, if you be for us, who can be against us? Jesus, I pray, move. Let us not just survive our dungeon, but let us thrive in it. In Jesus' name I pray. With heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, if you're here and you say, Justin, I'm here, and I don't know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, we want to give you a chance to change that. You may be here today, and you're used to playing the game. You're used to putting your church face on. That's not this place. That's not this time. Nothing gets better until we get real. And if where you are in your relationship with Jesus Christ isn't where you need to be and where you should be, and you need to recommit your life to him, man, this is your moment. This is your chance. And so when I get to three, would you just raise your hand and we're gonna lead you in a prayer to change it. One, two, three. Is there anyone here today? You say, Justin, that's me. There's one, there's two. Is there anyone else? You join these two, two hands. Before we go any further, and so there's three. Is there anyone else? You join these three hands that are lifted before we go any further. Man, this is your moment. This is your moment. Is there anyone else before we go any further in service? You say, Justin, that's me. If you raise your hand, if you please repeat this prayer after me and mean it from your heart. Jesus, I come before you today. I confess that I've sinned and that I've messed up, but I ask for your forgiveness. God, I ask that your grace and love would enter my life. I turn away from the life that I was living to grab hold of the life you have for me. I confess you, Jesus Christ, to be the Lord and Savior of my life. I'm going to live for you the rest of my days. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Can we give these individuals that raised their hand a huge round of applause? Yeah. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast. If you have any questions or in need of prayer or would like to join a connect group, feel free to email me at nicole at foundationschurch.tv.